people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. This is something that has the attention and the interest of a lot of people. Didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be a dominatrix. And when I walked into this party, everybody was dressed in crazy outfits, some people were hitting each other, and they all looked really fucking happy. And I immediately thought, I have no idea what this is, but I want in. That's where you are in this world at that moment. And there is no other place. And I'm curious, this is something that Every woman I know would raise an eyebrow at and say, oh, I'd like to know more about that. I mean, it scared me to death when I was new. Uh, I was did not want anyone to find out about it. I mean, it would just uh, weigh on my mind. This is something for people that are somehow damaged. You know, just because it looks a certain way to you does not mean that's how it is. Pain is almost like a drug. Uh, the way a drug would heighten your senses and make you feel euphoric. Oh, God. You're floating almost. It's this body high. It's a, it's a euphoric sense of well-being. One of my teachers actually assigned me her personal slave to be my sub. I was so uncomfortable. <laughs> what do I do with a slave? I can't even begin to imagine. Is this like something you're thinking of bringing back or just like... I know. Do I think this is something I'm going to bring back home? I don't, I don't know at this point. Are you scared? <laughs> hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking with... Todd Max Carey, all about his feature film documentary, Touch Kink, which every time I think of that title, I think of Reach Out and Touch Kink, which I know is not the lyrics, but it works for me anyway. It is a great documentary about fetishism, BDSM, some of my favorite subjects. Had a great time talking with Max. I hope you have a great time listening to it and be sure to check out the website, touchkink.com. How did you get involved in entertainment? 13 years old, I got hired for the local newspaper as a photographer and quickly discovered how much a shy kid enjoyed having a camera around his neck as a passport to the world. And that just stuck with me my whole life. So later I got involved in post-production film work in Vancouver and the film industry was exploding. So I did a lot of stuff there and just enjoyed travel and films. And that was literally my first job and it was a passport to the world. So is Touch Kink your directorial debut? It's my directorial debut. I've been a photographer. I've been a production advisor. I've done a million things around this. I always joked I'd rather be the guy that builds the house, not the guy that designs the house. There's always work for contractors, but architects is hit and miss. How did the project come to you? I actually met a dominatrix by the name of January Seraph way back in the day. And I knew they existed, but like a lot of people, I suppose, who aren't familiar with the scene, it's like some sort of mythical creature that you've only heard about and seen in movies. 
and never really had an opportunity. And she was just such a sweet person. And we just had these like conversations, super frank conversations about really what she did and the issues that she had and how people make all these assumptions about her. And she actually suggested we do a documentary about the myths and misconceptions around kink and it seemed like a fun project. So off it went. And when was this? This would be May 2015. The scale is pretty epic. It's not just your local dominatrix. You go all over the place. Can you tell me a little bit about how the whole project came together? January was her idea. And initially she wanted to finance the whole project and was going to do the whole thing. And then I quickly realized that she was bipolar and that she had this kind of run hot and cold. And then we stayed in contact, but didn't feel right about having her pay for it. So I just put it in the background. And then as fate would have it, I got a marketing job or proposed to me to market this new kinky dating app called Whipler. And it was frankly a pretty terrible app. And I told them as much. And I said, look, I like to get paid like everybody else, but you guys, your whole approach is wrong. You've got to try and fix this thing and you have to try and outreach to the community and all the rest of it. And I suggested, look, I'm not going to be able to just be straight up marketing for you, but I'll happily go out into the world if you want to support my documentary, listening to these people about their issues. And I'll tell them quite honestly, look, I'm being sponsored by these people over here. Would you please check out this app and give me your thoughts on it? And that three-month contract turned into two years of going around the world filming this documentary. Unfortunately, the app never really got any better. So it died on the vine a couple of years ago. But I did get the 1.6 million people to try their app. And I did get to do 100 days of filming around the world. So... That's how I managed to go to all these places, going to these communities and then trying promoting this app and also shooting my film. Most people respond to one of three things. They're going to respond to money. If you want a sponsored event, they want money. That's an obvious one. And some it's about ego, make me look pretty, make me whatever. And that's great. And some it really is a genuine desire to be seen, to, to have people understand you. But if you go into any community with all three of those buttons at your disposal, Kel Surprise, the doors opened everywhere. And some I said it was sponsorship, some it was to be seen, some it was to have the truth come out a little bit about it. But it was a great approach. And it really, yeah, it worked well for them. And they extended that three-month contract to two years. So much about the documentary is this is hidden, this is shameful, let's try to put it out in the light, let's try to not make it shameful. What way are you using to gain entry into this community that is typically closed off? That was, again, January. It is a community of trust. I imagine it's probably like it was to be gay in 1948. It's like if you have someone to trust, then you meet more people. If you don't have anybody to trust, someone trusts you and vouches for you. So she trusted me and vouched for me. And then I met more people that trusted my intentions and goes out from that. It's just meeting one person. I think you can tell by the questions and tell by the approach and that I'm not going to make this, oh, you're all crazy people. It's easy to do that. I could have got the documentary done a lot faster, actually, if that was my intention. So it was just one door opens two doors, opens four doors, opens eight doors, and so on. And eventually, yeah, it just seemed to enough people within the, at least the, the documentary is a little femdom heavy because that was the first community that I met. And that was the first community that opened up and they really knew me. 
I don't cover a lot of the lifestyle community or LGBT community at this kink because that's not the community I started. I'd love to do another documentary about that, those communities, but this community, this particular one is femdom related because that was the community that I first got most of my connections to. Can you tell me about the title? Why the title and why the treatment of the O in touch? I think I had way too long to think about this stuff. It took me seven years. And for me, there's a lot of symbolism in the film that's to remind me of my own intentions and my own thoughts. And touch is that I get that it's a little, we all want to be touched. We all want to be seen. We all want connection. But I understand this is uncomfortable for people sometimes. There's the, there's a little bit of an ouch and going, well, I like to do, I don't know, I like to dress up in women's clothing or whatever. It's hard for people to say that but they want to say that to get the connection. So for me, it was just the play between wanting to be seen for who you are, but recognizing that it wasn't going to be necessarily easy. And then the, oh, that's the touch and the, uh, the touch and the ouch. And the ouch also further symbolizes for me that the biggest difference between kink is the circle. You know, if, if someone's abusive, it's like I, you do something to somebody and that's it and you don't care and screw off. Where touch, biggest difference makes it, you could do the exact same activity. You go smack someone on the bottom without their consent, it's abuse. If you say, hey, do you like to be spanked? Oh, sometimes, but only like this. Okay, I'd like to spank you the bottom. Would you like me to spank? Yes, I would like you to spank me the bottom, but only do it like this. Okay, okay great. So you're, we're down with that. Okay, great. Now we got consent. Great. Now I spank you on the bottom. And how was that for you? That was okay? Was it too much? Was it too little? Yeah, it was good. Do you want to do it again? Sure. And the circle. Yeah. That's to me is just always to remind me of the circle. And that's, the biggest thing when everyone asks is, aren't they just kidding themselves? They're hitting people, they're doing stuff. And I'm not ever going to say there aren't people in the kink community that are predators too. There's, I think that there's less of those actually in the kink community because people understand or marginalized and are more protective of that community than it'll say a local, a local bar or a local nightclub. I've, how many people told me that they get their ass grabbed more at a vanilla bar uh, non-consensually than they ever do at a kink event. But there are people that aren't following those rules everywhere. But in the end, it's just about reminding people about the circle and trying to leave that message with them. Can you tell me a little bit about your crew and what it was like working with them? I worked with a Dutch cinematographer by the name of Ari van Dam, who had done a few documentaries, including one about sex work in Amsterdam. So I knew from that he wasn't going to be too squeamish about going into dungeons and talking to people about this kind of stuff. Some people, I'm sure if I had to go on military, go to the forefront of the battle of Ukraine, I'd feel very squeamish about the whole thing. You want someone who's been there, done that a little bit if you want efficiency. So he was great. And then most of the rest of the crew, quote unquote, was really just volunteers, people that believed in it. I believe that there's around 14% of people are actively, consciously kinky, but I believe that there's probably around 35%, and I've seen the numbers as high as 45% in Scandinavia, that occasionally indulge in kinky activities. So it's a big community, and there's a lot of people. I understand the issues the gay community had is different than this. I am trying to, I'm not trying to say this is the same as that, I'm, but I am saying that there's certain parallels in terms of how people started coming out more and more. And one of the parallels, of course, is that it was always 10 whatever percent of the population, but there was always connections underneath people that wanted to move this agenda forward. 
So they quietly helped. They were not, everyone was ready to come out full scale, but they all, but so many people really wanted to move this forward. So I had a lovely army of, I called them my ninjas that would help organize things for me and stuff and weren't ready to be public about their kinks. Can you tell me about the post process? What was it like actually putting all this together? A complete and utter nightmare. I'll never do it again. To be honest, I used to many years ago have a post-production company. I had maybe a dozen editors work for me at different times. And I, hand to God, I wrote as many as I could and apologized for pushing them so hard and wondering, like, why is it taking so long? It's one of those things that when you do it well, it doesn't look like it was very hard. So you're like, why is it taking so long? You just got to cut together a few things and get out the door. I had... 450 hours of material. And I had some help, but for the most part, I had to edit myself. Everything just took longer. So that whole editing process was probably a year and a half on its own too. And then various life has a way of giving you some prizes. So I had a couple surprises along the way too. Just So it was like a two or three, closer to three years to edit it. Pleasant surprises, I'm sure, right? No, not pleasant surprises at all. Unpleasant surprises. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, must have been very tough to lose January. That was the first one. She was a big part of the film. She was my big part of the project. And yeah, I didn't know what to do, actually, when that happened. I just, I didn't do anything for about six months. And I just tried to turn my attention somewhere else. And then I woke up one morning and said, well, I guess the best thing to do is call her parents and just reach out to the family and say, here's what I've got here's my intentions. If you want me, I'll completely cut her out of the film, you know, or I don't think I, I don't know what it would look like if I had, but, and they were very open and very long as you don't make it about her death and you don't make it about BDSM killed her kind of thing. You can mention she struggled with mental health and she was very open about that. She was always talking about various new therapies and trying this and trying that to try and I think a lot of people that are bipolar will try and figure out something so that they don't feel like e all the time. So she's very open about it. And they said, as long as you don't make it about her suicide or how BDSM made her kill herself or something like that, they were fine with it. So then I started in earnest again. Did you do many screenings to get like notes and feedback? Yeah, not screening. Like, I guess I did. I had my ninjas look at different parts. And it's a process, too, because one of the things that happened is through the way I I fell in love with the rather famous dominatrix, and there's a lot about our relationship. And, of course, when you break the third wall, it seems important to you. Like, it felt really important to me, felt really profound. So there was a line about sort of our relationship that I'd fallen into it, too. But as that, it's when people say, yeah, it's nice or whatever, but it's not really doing anything from other people's advice, started realizing, okay, yeah, it's important to me, but it wasn't really important to anybody else. Yeah, there was feedback from people and honesty from people, and that helped a lot as well. It's funny, I get strong positive reactions or strong negative reactions. And usually it's to do with a lot of the male doms that like for them, it's male dom. Males are always doms and women are always submissive or they have an issue with femdom are often like, it's just showing them another world that they're not comfortable with. People that are a little bit more open-minded or women that secretly, we all have two sides to us. Everyone has a feminine, a masculine side, a powerful, a dominant. Somehow more sensitive people 
many of which are female, tend to get it a little bit better. So I scored my, had an 84% approval among women over 35 and about a 27% approval over men of the same age. So it's definitely resonating with women more than men. The focus on femdom and then also even just seeing the one person's journey as she's, well, this is really weird. Oh, they're going to bring in dudes. And then next thing you know, she's a pro-dom. Okay. That's a great story to tell. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't become a pro-dom. She just became dominant. I try to be very honest. That really was my sober second look. It was like, do I, maybe I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid here. You knew her well enough that my feeling was she was very naturally dominant without necessarily having those words for it. And what she would often say about the certain kinds of people that she would date and others would find her quote unquote bitchy and maybe think she's probably quite dominant without actually realizing it. So when I put her in this I did have the hope that she would discover what she did discover. <laughs> was Fantasia your premiere? Yeah, that was the world premiere. I had been selected for a few smaller festivals, but my agent recommended that it's best to have the biggest festival you can have it. And I think that's considered one of the top 50 or top 100 in the world. And there's 15,000 festivals in the world right now. I was blown away to 15,000 festivals. Apparently there's like a festival, there's 20 going on at any given day now insane but yeah so i i waited and waited because i'd actually gotten into a festival and i wanted fantasia i literally just wrote them and said look i don't know how this works but i'm going to be honest with you i'm about to have my world premiere somewhere else i'd really rather have it with you can you let me know before i commit to this other festival and they took about a week but they eventually got back to me and said okay yeah were interested. And so I waited for the world premiere and had it at Fantasia, which was wonderful. 300 people sold out. About 25% of the audience came in leather and latex and flying their kinky flag. And at the question and answer, there were literally tears and it was, it was beautiful. What's next for it? More festivals. And I have an agent that's working on selling territories. I believe he's sold Germany now. England, Korea of all places, and just both basically selling territories. And then I'll do a few couple more. But I'd like to do a couple more festivals, more just for the chance to meet other filmmakers. I'm looking, honestly, I have seven different projects I'd like to do next, but I believe that it's better to swim with the flow. So if I meet somebody that happens to be in the flow or loving one of them more than the other, I'll zig and rather than zag. But Right now, I'm just looking to meet people, seeing what the universe gives me, and telling people about my seven ideas. <laughs> Is there a good place for people to keep up with the film online? Touchkink.com, T-O-U-C-H, kink.com, yeah. That's the basic information. It also lets them sign up to the newsletter, which will, as updates come along, I send information usually out once a month. Max, thank you so much for your time. This was great talking with you. You appreciate it very much. It's a lot. 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 Like life.
It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Like life. It's a lot. 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 Like life. 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 Life